Hello, and welcome to Hope Church. We're a local church with chill style, real faith, and no perfect people allowed. Thanks for checking out our podcast. This is a message from our SoCal location in the Santa Cruz, California area. We hope this message is encouraging. If you live near either of our locations, we'd love to have you join us for one of our many Sunday services. Good morning, you guys. Welcome to Hope. How are you doing? Good. As Tim mentioned, we're uh, wrapping up our Essentials series. I'm really excited about I've really enjoyed this. I hope you have as well, kind of taking a look at these core beliefs that we have as a church. And we're ending on a doozy. We are, uh, we're talking today about um, our, our core belief that salvation comes only through belief in Jesus' lordship and sacrifice. So salvation comes only through belief in Jesus' lordship and sacrifice. That is a bold and exclusive claim, is it not? Yeah. Sometimes people make bold and exclusive claims, and, um, and they seem to contradict other people's bold and exclusive claims, and, and this is one of those. So I, I have a picture I wanted to share with you. Um, this first picture up here is, um, so that's my mom and my older sister in Disneyland. Yeah, and um, my mom makes a claim that, that I've been to Disneyland. Do you see me anywhere in that picture? Now, why do you think she claims that I've been to Disneyland? And I would say that I haven't been to Disneyland. Well, it's because she was pregnant with me when she went. So this is, this is the running joke in my family, and it has been for years. This is 1977, the year that I was born, but that's the summer, and I was born in November. And uh, my mom, my older sister, and my dad, they all went to Disneyland, and that was the last trip my family ever took to Disneyland. And so forever they've said, oh, no, no, Chris has been. He's been to Disneyland. That's a bold and exclusive claim. Now let me show you this next picture here. Um, this next picture was taken uh, Monday of this, this last week. Yeah, same spot. Now I can say I've been to Disneyland, yes. You're welcome, thank you, thank you. Yes, the long night of darkness is over and I can actually say I've been, yes, the, the abuse has to stop now. Um, see, you know, two people can make a bold and exclusive claim and make different claims because there are standards by which to make that claim, right? Different standards. And today we're going to look at the words of Jesus and the claim that he makes and the standards by which he measures them. And we're going to see that when we claim the same, to make the same claim that he does, that salvation comes only through belief in his lordship and sacrifice, when he says only, he means, he means only. He does. And we're going to do that by looking at the writings of Luke, Greek doctor, and he wrote uh, a good portion of the New Testament, over 26% of it actually, in, in just two volumes. Uh, does anyone know what those are called? Luke and Acts, that's right. So, so it's um, now when you open a Bible, I feel like I'm just a little bit loud. You could turn me down just a little bit. Um, I feel when you open a Bible, Luke and Acts are actually separated by the Gospel of John, right? But originally, they were two volumes of the same work, Luke and Acts, and it was all one work that, that, that first told us about the words and the, the teachings of Jesus and where he came from and his genealogy, and then Acts 
told us about the ascension of Jesus after the resurrection and then his followers taking that message into the, the Near East and then beyond, right? So it was one work. And we're going to look at some four little vignettes from these works that talk about uh, this very thing. And Luke uses this, this very special word. He uses it kind of a lot, but he uses it particularly in three of these passages that we're going to look at. Um, and in English, we translate it as salvation. Okay, So when you see the word salvation in the works of Luke, it's translated from a Greek word that he used, which is very special, and it's soteria. Soteria. Right? Soteria. So if you see the word salvation or saved or save, it's, it's from this Greek word soteria. It's where we get the word soteriology, which means the study of salvation. Yeah, it's a very, it's a uh, specific part of theology, which is the study of Christ's sacrifice, and it's the study of, you know, big words like propitiation and, and those kinds of things and that doctrine. So if someone asks you, you know, as Christians, we're all basically, we, we, we are all studiers of, you know, students of salvation, soteriology. So if someone asks you, what is it that you do? You could say, I'm a soteriologist. I'm a soteriologist, and they'll, they'll go, huh, okay, all right. We are students of the salvation that Jesus, um, that Jesus brings. So we're going to look at four passages. The first one comes from the very beginning of Luke chapter 1, verse 67, okay? And this is, uh, this is the story of leading up to Jesus' birth. And Luke records that uh, there's a man named Zechariah. He's married to a woman named Martha, and and they gave birth to John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. And he kind of went ahead of Jesus and announced his coming. But Zechariah got a, a vision. And God told him about what was going to happen. And Zechariah was a, um, a priest in the temple. And, and it records this prophecy that Zechariah gave, inspired by this word from God. All right, so this is chapter 1, verse 67. It says, his father, Zechariah, the, his is John the Baptist. So John the Baptist, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, praise the Lord, God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation. Okay, so let's pa hit pause there for a second. So Zechariah was a priest. We know that. He worked in the temple. He's very familiar with Hebrew poetic, prophetic literature. And in Hebrew poetry and Hebrew prophecy, when you see the word horn, it's a symbol. And that symbol means a strong king. Okay, so when you read in Daniel or Zechariah or Jeremiah, and, and you read where they say, uh, when they say a horn, it means a strong king. Okay, so he says, he has raised up a horn, a strong king, for us in the house of David as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation, soteria, right? Salvation from the hand of all of us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies, to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. That's a beautiful prayer, right? What exactly is salvation? I mean, in light of this passage that we just read, what, what is, when you think of the word salvation, 
What do you think of? What is salvation? Anyone have a thought, a word? What, what comes to your mind when you think of the word salvation? Jesus. Rescue. Be saved. Yeah. Taken out of. So rescued. Set apart. The way Zechariah says it, he says salvation from our enemies. Right? Why would we want this? Why would we want to be saved? You know, Zechariah was a part of a people group who had experienced long-standing oppression and slavery, subjugation. They lived under an oppressive ruler. We don't, though, do we? we? We're not an oppressed people. I mean, us, like in this room, we're not, we're not an oppressed people. We, we haven't been enslaved recently, right? Um, we don't have enemies, say, right? Who or what do we need rescuing from exactly? Zechariah said this king would come and rescue them from their enemies. So how does that even pertain to us? What do we need rescue from? Yeah, I need rescue from me. (laughs) Sin. Rescue from sin. We we have an enemy. It's, It's sin. Sin. You know, when people think about Let's, let's deconstruct this for a second, okay? Are you up for that? Let's break it down a little bit. I like to take things apart to see how they work. I always have since I was a little. We're going to take this apart, see how it works. You know, when people think about modern Christianity, there's a fundamental assumption based on a tradition that came from uh, the Dark Ages, actually. Uh, the assumption is this, that human beings have an eternal soul, right? So this is just a shell, and there's an energy inside of it. Christians might call it a soul, um, and this soul is eternal. And, and when we die, that soul, if it's been a good soul, will go to heaven, right? If it's, you know, if you've paid your taxes and you didn't cheat on your spouse and whatever, you know, you, you go to heaven. If it's, if it's been bad, you'll go to hell. This is, does this sound familiar? Have you heard this? Okay. Now, Christians inside the church have just a slightly more nuanced view of this traditional view, which is that we think that the soul can be made good by Jesus. If we just invite Jesus to live in our hearts, or, or we're born again, or we get saved, right, or something like that, then this soul goes to heaven, leaves behind this earth, and doesn't have to go to hell. That's how we think about salvation. But, but think about this. Think about the scriptures, which is where we get all of this information, or we're supposed to, 66 books of scripture. At the very beginning, there's a book called Genesis, and at the very beginning of Genesis, there's a story in which God made the heavens and the earth. He made heaven and earth. Does it tell us he made hell there? No. Is is hell in the first part of the story? No. So that's something that must come later, right? So he made heaven and earth to kind of overlap and live together. That's how he made it. That's how he intended it to be. We can see that at the very beginning. You know, if you flip all the way to the end, the last book of the Bible is called Revelation. And if you go towards the end of Revelation, that, then it tells us that, that Jesus is going to come back. We call this the second coming because he's come once before, right? He's coming back. It's good news. It's something to look forward to, his second return. And when he comes, he's bringing something with him. What is he bringing with him? Heaven. So heaven comes here. 
Right? So heaven was here, and then it wasn't here, but then it's coming here again. So, so again, going back to this traditional view of, you know, a good soul dies and good, uh, are we going somewhere or is it coming here? You know, we've allowed a, a dumbed-down and corrupted mythology from the Dark Ages to affect the way we view maybe the most important thing. So let me ask you again, what exactly is salvation? Now we're not so sure, huh? <laughs> Why would we want it? Why would we want to be saved? The assumption is that it is merely something that we want. See, we have, we have this tendency as human beings to make everything about us. We're at the center of all of our thinking. Is it possible that salvation is not about what we want, it's about what he wants for us? Here's my first observation. Okay, so this is what we're going to do today, by the way. We're going to look at four passages of scripture. We're going to ask ourselves some hard questions, and I'm just going to make a couple observations, okay? I don't have any points. We're just going to talk. And we're going to take communion together, and we're going to pray, all right? So here's my first observation, and that is that Christianity... Christianity is just about what we are, it's not just about what we are being saved from, but it's in fact who we are being saved for. We got it backwards, didn't we? We think of Christianity, because the world thinks of it this way, as what we are being saved from. But in fact, it's who we are being saved for. He's saving us for himself. He has to save us from sin so that we can be with him. Now, I've heard, and you probably have as well, people will often complain that Christianity holds a very narrow view. Holds a narrow view. Christians are narrow-minded, right? But perhaps when we say that Jesus is the only way, it's because Jesus is the only one who's offering this one specific thing called salvation. Oh, you know, when we look at other religions, and by the way, I gotta tell you, I'm 44 this year. I turned 44 this year. 34-year-old of me would have spent 20 minutes comparing and contrasting Christianity against other religions, because that, that interested me at one point. It doesn't really interest me much anymore, and I'll tell you why. Because I care far more about who Jesus is than who other people are not. It just doesn't interest me anymore. I care about who Jesus is. I want to know him. I want to be like him. I hope you do as well. Lots of other religions do offer heaven or like it. Nirvana, some transcendental, you know, uh, transcendent uh, spiritual experience, um, paradise. Jesus did not go, if you read his teachings, if you read his words, and I've read a few of them, he did not go around offering a golden ticket to a magical place. In fact, he said, the kingdom of heaven is coming soon. It's on its way here. It's not about us on the way there. It's about it being on the way here. In fact, he said the kingdom of heaven is coming soon and is now here. It's here. It's started living inside of us, right? Okay, so here's the second passage we're going to look at in the right of Luke. We're going to jump to Acts, the book of Acts, and this is in Acts chapter 4. Now, just the setup is Peter and John have begun to proclaim the gospel. So Jesus has ascended to heaven and they've They've gone out and they began to preach the gospel, and they go into the temple, and they're preaching in the temple. Big no-no. And they, they see a man who's lame, and, they, and Peter heals him. This lame man becomes healed. And uh, 
um, and, he, and they begin teaching about the resurrection of Jesus. And then it records in this chapter that uh, they, they get captured and brought before the Sanhedrin, and it specifically names religious leaders, including Caiaphas, who are there, and they ask Peter and John this question. They ask him, by whose authority, who gives you the authority to say these things, right? And here's what Peter says. This is in Acts 4, chapter 8. It says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, wait a second. Does that sound familiar? Remember that? Go back to uh, Luke chapter 1. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit, right? So that's kind of a thing. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people. It's nice that he's being respectful, isn't it? Rulers and elders of the people. He says, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Now let's put a pin there. You see that? quotation marks around the quotation marks, right? Because if you look in your Bible, there's a little, there's a little uh, foot that says that Peter is quoting from Psalms chapter 118. But he's not. He's quoting Jesus, quoting from Psalms chapter 118. Because if you look in Ch Matthew chapter 21, Jesus went to the same temple, to the same message, and the same religious leaders, that's why Luke names them, called him to account, and they asked him this question, who gives you the authority to say these things? And Jesus quotes Psalm 118. So this is Peter quoting Jesus, quoting David, who's prophesying about the coming of Jesus. And what does he say? The stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. So, so in the religious system, the Jewish people had made it to revolve around a temple, a temple that God had never asked them to build, by the way. But this new kingdom that Jesus is offering is established by the Holy Spirit coming inside of us. And we are now the temple, and Jesus is the cornerstone upon which that temple is built. And that's what Peter was talking about. That's good teaching right there. You can, that's, you can say amen if you want. That's, that's some of my better work right there. Okay. So, but listen how, listen how Peter finishes this. He says, the cornerstone... Uh, which the uh, builders rejected, has become the cornerstone. He says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Ooh, that is some exclusive talk, isn't it? No other name. It leaves, does that leave room for any other possible, possible uh, uh, names? No, it doesn't. Why would it arrive only this one way? Why would it be that way? Why would something so important have to be so exclusive? Maybe because it's so important, it has to be a certain way. You know, just because grace is free does not mean that it's cheap. You know, I belong to a, an exclusive club. I, I joined just this week. I had to sign up for it ahead of time. And I heard about it from a friend. And I, um, my young Padawan is going to help me here. And I, I, uh, I went into a room at Disneyland, <laughs> and some men showed me how to build something with a group of other people. I got a special pin, 
and together we, we did some building and we built these lightsabers. Yes. Uh-huh. I was in a room with 12 other men, most of whom probably lived in their mother's basements. And um, this is, I mean, this is like the real deal, you guys. It, 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 this is not plastic. This is like hardened steel. Thank you, Padawan Learner. Does anybody else here have one of these lightsabers? Does anyone else? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I don't know why you're applauding that, but thank you. Um, it's, I mean, I've been to some comic book conventions, and this was by far the nerdiest thing I've ever been a part of, I've got to tell you. Does anyone else here have one of these lightsabers by a show of hands? Anyone else? No, just me. Pretty exclusive, right? Pretty exclusive. But here's the thing. It is exclusive, but anyone can do it. Anyone can sign up and pay a large sum of money, which, Mike, you're going to have to show me how to write that off next year. We're going to have to work on that. But anyone can be a part of this exclusive club because while the path is narrow to get there, the gate is open wide. Right? Salvation comes only through belief in Jesus, lordship, and sacrifice. When we say lordship, Luke tells us what that means. He says... Uh, in fact, let's look at Luke chapter 19. There's a story. This is our third of four stories um, where uh, Jesus is walking through a town. It's the town of Jericho. In fact, let's read it. He says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. I like the way Jesus just invites himself to people's houses. I think we should start doing this. We should meet people, say, I'm going to come to your house today. We're going to have lunch, and we're going to talk about Jesus. I must stay at your house today, he says. So he came down, and at once, and, and uh, he was welcomed, and he welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter. You see, tax collectors, of course, you know, they were despised by the people. They were betrayers of their own people. So people were not stoked. All the people saw this and began to mutter, and they said, he has gone to, the get, to be the guest of a sinner. I, I, don't know if, I don't know if there's anything that describes Jesus better than guest of sinners. Thank God for that, amen? But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, he said, look, Lord, Adonai, King, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. If I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay it back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today, soteria, salvation, has come to this house. Because this man, too, is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Salvation is not merely a process by where, which we get a golden ticket so that we can go somewhere better. It's him coming to us. That's the miracle of it. He comes to us. He comes to our house and sits down with sinners like us. Because that's what he came to do. Luke tells us about his kingship. He also tells us about his sacrifice. In Luke chapter 23... Jesus is hanging on the cross, and the scripture records there were at least two other people also being crucified that day. 
And it says this in Luke chapter 23, verse 39. It says, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Listen to what the other criminal says. He says, he rebuked him. He said, don't you fear God? Since you are under the same sentence, we are, listen to the revelation that this man has. We are punished justly. We are getting what we deserve, right? Have you had a revelation of what your actions truly deserve? We are punished justly. We are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Think about the revelation. This man is innocent. Innocent as a lamb. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today. You know, the earliest translations, they don't have that comma there. So I think it's more accurate to say, truly I tell you today, I'm telling you about it today. Today I'm telling you, you will be with me in paradise. Now let me tell you this, if you hadn't heard this before. I think Jesus' use of the word paradise here is easily one of the most loving expressions recorded in Scripture. I'll tell you why. The word is only used two times, here and then once in Revelation. Both it's used to describe the presence of God, but it was not a common term to describe what we might think of as heaven, some kind of golden shining city. In fact, paradise is a Greek word. It's the word that Greeks use to describe um, a pleasant afterlife. Jesus uses a Greek term to conjure a Greek image to comfort a dying criminal in the way that would make sense to him in this moment. He didn't have time to stop and explain theologically what heaven or paradise, any of those kind of things. So he uses this word. He comes into his space, into his world. He asks nothing of him in terms of mechanics. Oh, you you have to pray this prayer. You have to do this thing. You have to say these exact words. Here's what you have to do. He just says, you're with me because you've had the revelation. You've seen me. He's a king, but he's also a lamb. Here's my second observation. Salvation is not about what he wants from us. It's about what he wants for us. When we ask, why does it seem so exclusive? What we really mean is, why is it this way, not another way? Well, this is the way. This is the way. Here it is. It's belief. It's belief in an idea that is true. It's wrapped up in a story. You see, the story of Jesus, the story is a delivery system. It's how it got here. How did you hear about Jesus? It's a story, right? The story is the delivery system. It's how we got here. And inside that story is an idea. An idea contains some truth. And the truth, when you believe it, the reservoir of grace from God opens up and it covers you, and it washes you, and it fills you. And judgment is spent, but not on you. It's spent on Jesus. He takes that judgment for you that we rightly deserve. You're shielded by the pure light of his love. When you have a revelation of this, then you see it. The white shores and beyond. And someday you open your eyes in a redeemed universe where heaven and earth collide 
and forever start all over again. So when Jesus says, I am the way, I'm the story. I'm the story. I'm the truth. I'm the truth that came along with the story. I'm the life. Soteria, I'm salvation. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's a wide open invitation, not an exclusive club. We hope this message encouraged you to take the next steps in your relationship with God. The cool thing is that you don't have to do it alone. There are a lot of ways you can get connected here at Hope. Not only do we want you to feel at home at Hope, we'd love to help you find a home. Please check out discoverhope.church and click connect or just email us at info at discoverhope.church. Lastly, we give everything we can away for free and rely 100% on volunteers and donations to support this ministry. If you'd like to give to the Mission of Hope Church, you can select the Give option on our website or text any amount to 831-800-2060. Thanks again for tuning in.